electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. On this New Year's Eve episode, going, going, going. The ousted chairman of Nissan has fled house arrest in Tokyo. He landed in Lebanon. People say, how'd he get there? Well, is that the rumor? Cello case? White House trade advisor Peter Navarro on the economic decade to come. It's going to be uh, the roaring 2020s. The last roaring 20s didn't end well. This is true. Managing director of American Cancer Society's philanthropic venture fund is hoping to change the way that we give. We think that AI and machine learning is going to play a much larger role in the cancer world going forward. Those stories, plus some on-the-ground intel from Times Square ahead of the ball drop. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Tuesday, December 31st, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is out today. We're going to start with the markets this morning. It is the final trading day of the year and of the decade. Check out the top performing Dow components during the last 10 years. The catch is most of these stocks joined the index during the decade, so it's not what you saw exactly in the Dow. But Apple leads the list. It was up 868 percent over the last decade. United Health gaining 864%. Visa up by 759%. And Home Depot had gains of 651% with Nike adding 510%. Now, the bottom five, and again, we should say these are the bottom five, not considering the ones that already got kicked out of the Dow. Uh, but IBM over the last decade up by 1.5%. ExxonMobil up by just 1.9%. Goldman Sachs up by 36.1%, Chevron with a gain of 55.7%, and then Walgreens Boots with 60.4%. The Dow dropping 183 points in yesterday's session. Believe it or not, that was its worst day in four weeks. It was a decline of just six-tenths of a percent, if that tells you anything about where this year has been headed and where this last month has been headed. All right, um, I'm torn. Gone, 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 or going, going, gone. Going, going, gone. You like going, going, gone. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't heard, ousted uh, Nissan Renault chief Carlos Gone has fled house arrest in Tokyo. He's awaiting trial in Japan, and he landed in Lebanon. People say, how'd he get there? Well, I mean, he was known for private jets, right? Right. Uh, now, this would violate strict court-imposed uh, restrictions on his movements. And Lebanon prohibits the extradition of its citizens. So makes it unlikely Gohn can be forced to return to Japan. Now, in a statement, Gohn said, in his words, he will no longer be held hostage by a rigged Japanese justice system where guilt is presumed, discrimination is rampant, and basic human rights are denied. He said, I have not fled justice, I have escaped injustice and political persecution. It's not clear how Gohn evaded, as we said, Japanese authorities, uh, Reuters say all three of his passports are still held by lawyers. 
uh, Gomes' uh, lawyer called uh, his behavior inexcusable. He supposedly got there. He was in Turkey. Somehow went to Turkey first, and then got to Lebanon from Turkey. Uh, you might recall he was first arrested in Tokyo last November on charges uh, of hiding income and enriching himself through payments to dealerships in the Middle East. Nissan fired him after internal investigations uh, revealed his. Uh, he had understated his salary, and you saw that mask he was wearing. That, that's what I was uh, confronted with in makeup today. Uh, that's with good reason. People You're wearing sick. masks. Yes, nobody wants to, and I'm sitting this close to you. I, I don't think it's, I think it's okay by now. Maybe. I hope. Yeah. But um, Tamiflu is a, is a wonder drug. You can exist. You can, you can get through things with it. It, it lessens both the duration uh, and the severity. And it's harsh, though, you were, you were What's that? It's pretty harsh. It has its own side effect. It does. It does, it does some, you can do some wacky stuff. Yeah, you're not supposed to drive a car. Right. Yeah, you're definitely not supposed to, to talk to ad lib for three hours. Anything. I mean, you should watch today. You really should. Although yeah. I didn't take I didn't. All right, so Carlos Ghosn, he gets out, he gets to Turkey. That's the thing I have a bigger question with, the idea that you can get out of Turkey to Lebanon with doing these. Obviously, he went on a private plane, but yeah. to not have his passport to get through any of those sort of hoops on this. Uh, you, I can see how you would I, do that. I, I, I mean, yeah. you'd, you'd go I, to the, the, the private air. He's been very port, frustrated. Yeah. There were a lot of things that kind of shed some light on the Japanese justice system where you have, I, I think, 99.5% conviction rates on some of these things. Joining us right now on the Squawk Newsline is Nick Kostoff. He is the Wall Street Journal reporter who's been following every twist and turn of this story. And, Nick, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. What do you think happened here? Um, so the details are still pretty sketchy about what happened. We do know that he arrived in Lebanon um, on the private jet. Um, and we do know that he went via Turkey. Um, there are unconfirmed reports in the local press that he actually left his house um, hidden in an instrument case um, after having some people over to, to, for a concert at his house. But as I said, he's unconfirmed for now. So it's, it's, it's pretty sketchy on the details about how he managed to get out of Japan. Uh, like a cello case? Uh, <laughs> It'd have to be a pretty yeah. good instrument. <laughs> uh, not a mandolin. I mean, it, that, that's crazy. Uh, what other cases? I mean, I guess there's big amplifiers and it could be a keyboard. I, I don't know. I, but is that what you're saying, Nick? Is that the rumor? A cello case? Yeah, that, I mean, I'm not sure which instrument, um, but yeah, that's certainly the rumor in the in the Lebanese press right Great. now. That's what they're reporting. What do you think now happens with Japan? I know his own lawyers have said that this was not the right move, that he has uh, kind of embarrassed them by doing this too. Uh, what happens now? Yeah, well, yeah, his lawyers, um, his lawyers said, yeah, this, this is this is wrong. But they also said that they understand his reasons for doing so, and the fact that you know his concerns about not getting a fair trial. Um, I mean, in a way, this is ironic because obviously Japan doesn't have uh, an electronic tagging system, and Goen had actually offered to wear an electronic tag when he was trying to get bail. So he wasn't he wasn't completely under house arrest. I mean, he lived in a house in Tokyo, but he was pretty free to get around. He recently took a trip to Kyoto, for example, with the court's permission. He could um, have lunch at hotels nearby. So, I mean, clearly this is, this is embarrassing for Japan. It's their most famous defendant, and he seems to have just, you know, skipped bail and, and left. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of soul-searching in Japan about how to deal with these cases in the future, um, in particular with electronic tagging and, and the higher security measures. Nick, thank you for joining us today. We do appreciate your time. 
Uber and Postmates are suing California to challenge legislation that would force the companies to treat their drivers as employees instead of contractors. That new law is set to take effect tomorrow. The suit claims that it violates constitutional guarantees of equal protection and due process because of the way that it targets some workers and companies and carves out exemptions for others, including travel agents, construction truck drivers and commercial fishermen. Um, it's going to be an interesting case because Uber has been fighting this very heartily the whole way through. It would completely change the business model for any of these companies if they suddenly had to pay their 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 workers as employees. Now, it's probably more nuanced if you look at it. There are some Uber drivers who are absolutely employees. They're, they're driving 40 to 60 hours a week, maybe even more. There are others who are doing this as shift work. So if you really dig through and try and figure out who's an employee and who's not, there's probably... Uh, a more nuanced way of kind of going through and, and figuring that out, too. We all uh, benefit from them not paying their employees a fair wage, I think, because that's... Not an argument for... That, no, but that's a way it's... we got to decide what we want. That's a way they're able to subsidize it. They're still not making money. They're never going to make money. They, they lift an Uber, go back and forth, undercutting each other yeah, and not covering... Yeah, that's their own the, fault. I know. That's their All own right, fault well, for undercutting each other. Then you know that your, your $20 fare... Consumers fair. getting used to being able right. to not actually your have to subsidize Your $20 fair is going to be $40. Yeah, but that's... Uh, uh, that's look, okay. If, if you want to look You're at, okay with that? I, I actually think that it, there's a more nuanced answer to it. If you are an employee who's working 40 hours a week more, I think you should be treated as an employee. If you really are one of these shift employees who's picking up 20 hours okay. or 10 so hours. So they require that and then they leave employee. California. So you're back to cabs. Okay. I mean, but look, you, you, you don't It's like Airbnb. It's like, do you want to, you know, I understand. I understand. But the, a lot of the employees are willingly accepting the terms of the employment the way it is right now. Okay, should minimum, I mean, that's an argument for saying minimum wage shouldn't exist anywhere. I don't think what minimum wage should exist anywhere. Oh, I know, but it Maybe does. the states can do it, but it certainly shouldn't be national. Well, okay, states have that in certain areas, States too. do, but there is an argument that for the, for the 10 million people that get their raise, 2 million the argument, people lose their jobs, the, and their, minim, the their minimum wage is zero. I know, I know. I understand your argument on that, and I can even understand not you having think any national... Pro, you think price controls are... Uh, no, I don't. Okay, but wage and price... The they're called wage and price you, control. You follow and which you don't. wage and price control. Just like you tell Andrew, on gun legislation, and then fix it and change the law. Right. If you don't like it, change the law. That is the argument for elect, it. Uh, you know, elect some representatives to, to, instead of shaming companies into doing things. Where is he? Is he out marching somewhere? somewhere or he's out somewhere warm, but I'm pretty sure he's not watching. Tonight, you may be toasting the new year with products that have been hit by tariffs or are about to face new tariffs. Kayla Tausche joins us right now. She's got some New Year's Eve booze news. Kayla, good to see you. Good to see you, Becky. And that's not even to mention your charcuterie plate. It could happen in about two weeks when the Trump administration could slap tariffs up to 100 percent on French champagne and cheese. Those would take effect mid-January, absent a major breakthrough uh, over France's tax on big tech. That would be in addition to 25 percent levies relating to an aircraft dispute that already targets other European wines, whiskeys, and your favorite after-dinner cordial. The distilling industry says that companies are already having to grapple with those changes. More than 300 companies have been commenting on the government's website since the U.S. Trade Representative unveiled these moves earlier in the year. The vast majority of these are opposed. Wine merchant Kermit Lynch, who has 85 employees in six states, writes, quote, the damage that will be done to our business and the businesses we sell to will happen swiftly. 
carefully, and if and when the tariffs are removed, it will take years to recover, or it may be impossible. Industries are urging the two sides to negotiate. France and the U.S. have been at the negotiating table before for a short-lived truce. Certainly, many in the administration argue that it is the champagne consumer, Becky, uh, paying higher prices that they're not exactly worried about. You know, Kayla, I had talked to a wine editor about some of these issues and, and just thought, OK, is this good news for the California wineries? He said uh, potentially, potentially good news because they'd be there lower. It may not be great news for the consumer, ultimately, because he thinks it will give those California wineries uh, room to move up their prices as well and still be competitive. Right. And that's not even to mention, Becky, the potential additional retaliation to come from Europe. Remember, Europe last year uh, put tariffs on American whiskeys and bourbons. Those exports fell by about 30 percent. It was a massive financial hit to those companies. Now, the French have a lot of pride in their wine. They would say they don't import a ton of California wine, but there would be a hit uh, to the volumes that you see shipped overseas if, in fact, some of that retaliation came to pass. Kayla, thank you. Cheers. Tonight here. Uh, Yes. Okay. You already can't get in. Look around you. You already can't get in here unless you walk. Hi. Is that why I had trouble getting? Uh, yeah, we had that's the, why uh, I had trouble every year. I forget. This is the day you don't drive. Yeah, it's going to be crazy out there. And, and what what a great team afterwards because we don't even notice the next day. It's all cleaned up. It's pretty oh, unbelievable. Uh, it's it, you will see one or two pieces of confetti. Can I just say if anyone tonight needs to use the the restroom, this is you can come here to. Uh, <laughs> You better not offer what you can't. <laughs> if you're not here to let them in the door. We don't even let guests that. use our <laughs> No, you have to go upstairs. No, uh, do not come here. But where do they? Kyle, what do you think? You're not allowed either. It's called but, Depends. Yeah, it that's, depends on where. Honestly, that's, no, that's, that's so what gross, people so. do out there. Really? You can't, you can't go to the bathroom. You're locked out there for six, seven, eight hours. That, nice, that sounds so appealing. That nice warm feeling. For a few seconds. Temporarily. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's gross. And this is a big one, I think, right? 2020. Okay. Yeah. I, I, come on. Next year's the end it, of the it, decade, really. It's the end of the decade. Okay. There was no, did you know there was no uh, zero A.D.? It shouldn't matter. Well, it went from, from 1 B.C. to 1, 1 A.D. AD. So, the know, fir- so we counted from 1. If you ever probably got to go back to this guy Dionysius in the 5th century, the which was actually was, in the 400s. 6th century. 6th century, yeah. which is actually the 5th century. 500s. Right. Yeah. So if you have a problem, so are we in the 20th century or not? Uh... No. 2020, why not? It's 21st anyway. century. You're going to rain on the parade. No, I'm not raining on a parade. I'm just saying that there's some you know, dispute about when a millennium... We're rolling to a big round number, right? Just the way we would look when at it. When did the millennium start? The third millennium started okay, in... fine. Technically, you're correct, okay. but let me roll with okay. it, okay? Go ahead. So in case you haven't caught on by now, the Squawk Box set is in Times Square. Becky left the studio later in the show to check out the scene on the ground before hordes of people pack in for the big ball drop of the decade. This is already about one of the safest places on Earth because you have a huge uh, recruiting station here and lots of police officers. But this time around, getting ready to go, New York City Police Department and the counterterrorism units are saying that this is going to be the safest place on the Earth tonight. They're watching everything very tightly coming into here. They've got already uh, 1,200 security cameras that are taking place, thousands of uniformed and plainclothes police officers. They've got more than 200 blocker vehicles to block off the streets and make sure that no cars or trucks 
can get through this area. They've also got bomb-sniffing dogs, and for the first time ever on this New Year's Eve, they are going to have drones that are circling through the skies as well. Now, they are expecting anywhere from one to two million people who are going to be here tonight. That's what New York City police officials and city events planners are saying. Other people say it's going to be closer to 100,000 that are crammed into this area. People will be standing and waiting for about 13 hours so that they can stand here. Through that entire time, you are not allowed to bring any umbrellas through here. You are not allowed to bring any alcohol. You're not allowed to bring any backpacks. So if you are coming for that, you are going to be in for a very long haul. By the way, there are no bathrooms here, so get ready for that, too. And we're seeing all, all those things get ready for that ball to drop from right above us a little bit later tonight. We'll send it back over to you, Joe. A million and a half people, no bathrooms. What could go wrong? Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro shares his very optimistic outlook for 2020. 2020, we're going to uh, try to get something going with Great Britain, uh, Vietnam, Europe, uh, and anybody else who wants to uh, fairly trade with the United States of America. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Roll off of track. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kern along with Becky Quick. Andrew uh, is off today, but uh, it's the last day before the new year. Our White House uh, Office of Trade and Manufacturing Director Peter Navarro says phase one of the U.S.-China trade agreement is a done deal. A report out of China says the country's vice premier uh, could be in Washington as early as this week to sign off on it. And Peter Navarro joins us now. He's also an assistant to the president. And, and Peter, welcome. It's great to have you back. It's, it, it's it, midnight somewhere. That's right. It, you know, <laughs> usually we it's usually say America it's, to me. Right. Usually we say it's five o'clock somewhere, and there you know why. But yeah. um, I've been kidding yesterday and last week that that trade is so 2019. And, and what I'm doing is just sort of saying we did phase one, maybe, or it looks good for phase one. And this financial market seemed to have at least put it not on the back burner, but not quite on the very front burner at this point. Is that the right uh, sentiment to have that the phase one deal, we can count on that pretty much being in, uh, in the bank? That one is in the bank, Joe, and there's four other ones uh, in the bank in terms of countries covered. Uh, don't forget, we signed the Epic uh, Japan deal. That's $7 billion for our farmers. Uh, we renegotiated the South Korean deal, and we got Canada and Mexico, which is twice uh, the volume of trade as China and five times the exports. That one's sitting on uh, Mitch McConnell's desk, uh, ready to go to the floor of the Senate. Uh, and next year, yeah, 2020, we're going to uh, try to get something going with Great Britain, uh, Vietnam, Europe, uh, and anybody else who wants to uh, fairly trade with the United States of America. Is it possible that the deal could be signed um, as early as maybe next week? Are, are rumors of uh, Chinese officials coming to D.C. to sign it next week? Or do you, can you give us shed any light on that? I, I cannot. I'm going to defer to Ambassador Robert E. Lighthizer, a great American who is... Uh, 
probably on the phone as we speak with his Chinese counterparts. So we'll uh, parsing that. We're we're just waiting for the uh, Chinese translation of the 86-page uh, agreement, and yeah. uh, I'm trying to figure out whether it's going to be more pages or less in Chinese. You know who? Uh, it, it was an old phrase, but the, the president. We'll see what happens. He said yes. we hear that a lot, don't we? So uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, how's that working out? It's working out great for America. We'll see what happens. Yes, uh, so, are you happy with? The details of, of, uh, of phase one, uh, there were, you can confirm or deny this, that, that maybe you didn't like certain parts about, about removing from some tariffs makes America look weaker than, than you'd like? or, so, or Sure. I mean, look, the phase one deal, I, if you break it down, it's got great stuff in it. Uh, it's got uh, essentially the same chapter we had in the May deal the Chinese walked away from on intellectual property theft. So that's a good deal. Uh, we've got a, a base obligation in forced technology transfers, so that's a good start uh, for Wall Street, uh, jumping up and down on Wall Street, financial market access for the banks, uh, insurance co uh, companies, and credit card companies, so that's a good deal. And uh, if you go through the numbers uh, on the, uh, the purchases, it's not just ag. Uh, you've got $200 billion of purchases above the 2017 baseline over a two-year period. About a fourth of that is agriculture, but you've also got uh, energy services and manufacturing. So that could take a, a pretty good chunk out of the trade deficit with China. So that's a good deal. And you also have uh, uh, a nod to uh, the currency manipulation as well. So phase one, great start. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we should be able to get it signed in January, certainly. Let's see what happens. Hey, Peter, there was a huge takeout in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about cyber espionage from Chinese nationals, um, just how they had kind of worked their way into different cloud systems like Hewlett Packard, had stolen all kinds of intellectual property. The Wall Street Journal did this takeout, this deep investigation that they ran through. And I have to say, even though I knew there was a lot of corporate espionage taking place and a lot of um, theft that was taking place, this kind of awed me in terms of what they've been pulling off. How do we go back yeah, after them? Should, and you it, should see some of the stuff I see and, yeah. and you'd be odd. No, I think that uh, I, I think 2020 uh, needs to be the year where we, we have a, a, a very uh, candid discussion uh, about that aspect of the relationship. I think what, what President Trump has done beautifully uh, in his first three years in office is changed the discussion about China uh, prior to him taking office, it was economic engagement is going to turn them into a democracy. Today, I think there's a clear-eyed view amongst the American people on Capitol Hill. Uh, and the president has taken a hard line and gotten really good results from China. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this cyber espionage um, is intolerable, as, as is uh, the killing of Americans with fentanyl. Yep. So I think those are going to be two 2020 uh, important issues. But but I'm looking forward to a, a great 2020. I mean, forecast-wise, I'm seeing uh, closer to 3% real GDP growth than 2%. Yeah. I'm seeing uh, at least uh, 32,000 on the Dow. And I'm a little uh, disappointed, on. Joe. you got, you got to play that clip for me. Will you just wait Please, we got. Uh, we're we're going to do the trade stuff first. I'm going to. We're going to get into that right. uh, towards the end. But just let me ask you about Huawei quickly, because you know the, there's sure. a lot being made of the the record uh, revenue that the company recorded. But the chairman himself says the the revenue or the growth was slower than expected, and more challenges remain in 2020. Do we want Huawei to to, to fail? Is there any way? Do we need to decouple completely? Is there any way that that record 
revenue for Huawei can be a, a symbiotic or a, a, an okay thing for us, or do we, we, do we just not want them succeeding at all? Well, I, I don't know who the we is, but, but let me just uh, express... Uh, the royal the, we. What the, what the, there's no royal uh, in the White House. No. Uh, the, um, you know, the issue with Huawei is both a hardware and a software problem. Uh, you have uh, on the hardware side the concern that it, you know, if, you're, if your 5G systems are full of uh, Huawei routers, bad things can happen in terms of shutdowns and siphoning of data. And uh, in the blink of an eye with uh, software on your handheld device or whatever, uh, then espionage comes, comes into play. And as Becky said earlier, uh, there's plenty of instances of Chinese espionage. So, mm-hmm. again, that's a, that's a concern that's, a, that's been expressed at the Department of Defense, at the Justice Department, at the State Department. Um, it's a deep concern. I just wonder from here on out, Peter, whether we, this has been played forward in your... You think 2020, more to come, and that there, there's a lot of gas left in the tank. It's going to be uh, the roaring 2020s uh, next year, and, and, and I'm very bullish about this. The last roaring 20s didn't end well. Uh, we got, this is you true. Know, we got this huge true. deficits. We're adding the huge yes. deficits. We're, yes. not, uh, we're not doing anything yes. about entitlements. We're... Um, you know, we, obviously there was something no that the president wanted to... No New Year's Eve, Joe. Come on, baby. Uh, I know. Nothing I know, but, but positive. I'm, I'm t- can't be all positive. Peter Navarro, thanks uh, for all the time. Joe, Becky, uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year. Next on Squawk Pod, the American Cancer Society's new venture fund has a new strategy for giving. The, the face of philanthropy is changing. The average donation on an annual basis from an individual donor for the Cancer Society is under $100. We're back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Now for an interview on philanthropy. This conversation is from last week, so you'll only hear Becky and Andrew. All right, welcome back, everybody. The American Cancer Society has formed a philanthropic venture fund called Bright Edge Ventures. It invests in startups that are developing new cancer treatment technologies. And joining us right now to talk more about the fund and the new strategies for giving back is Bob Crutchfield. He is managing director of Bright Edge Ventures. And Bob, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. All right, so this is really interesting, a new way of kind of tackling and trying to promote research. How, how does the fund work? Who donates? And, and what happens with the returns that you make? 
So, as you know, the American Cancer Society, since 1946, has been active in funding translational research grants, $4.9 billion over that period of time, over $100 million a year to, uh, this, to, today. And so what we do is invest in the biggest problems facing cancer patients today for tomorrow's solutions. So we have no equity, we have no returns, it's just pure, non-dilutive grant funding. But if you look at, if you're a cancer patient today, um, and I'm a cancer survivor, if you're a cancer patient today, you don't really want tomorrow's solutions, you want today's solutions. And so if so much money from the private markets has come into cancer over the last 10 or 12 years, there are opportunities for us to invest in near market or in market diagnostics, therapeutics, devices, and technologies. And we want to push those into the, into the market in a way that cancer patients are being treated sooner in a, in a commercialization cycle rather than later. Sure. So we, we see a really good opportunity for us to invest for mission, but at the same time invest for returns. And then we take the returns that we make on investments and then recycle those into to more, it's an evergreen fund model, so we reinvest them into more uh, life-saving technologies. Let me ask, for, for this, you're looking to raise another $100 million, but you have to donate a $1 million in order to qualify for the fund. Why? I mean, if you're looking to raise as much money as possible, why does somebody have to give a $1 million to be able to give? Yeah, so the, the face of philanthropy is changing. Uh, people find it surprising that the average donation on an annual basis from an individual donor for the Cancer Society is under $100. So in order for us to create sustainable new revenue streams, uh, this looks like an opportunity for us to invest in both mission and returns. But in order for us to be able to invest with any sort of, you know, equity size, we need at least 150 million or greater size fund, because the round sizes and some of these early therapeutics and diagnostics are very, very large. And so we believe that there's an opportunity for us to create a fund model that allows philanthropists to donate money, see where every single dollar has been invested and then see where those dollars have boosted and um, through uh, uh, li liquidity events, and then see where they've been re reinvested. So the life cycle for them to track their donation is much longer. And so 250 a year over four years is sort of the minimum donation that we're looking for today. Cancer Society has committed $50 million from their balance sheet to get this started. And, and in terms of the tax benefits for people who are donating, how does that work too? So they get a tax deduction, and, uh, and then... Uh, that, that's it, right? So, so they get no additional benefit from gains that are produced. And but they can recycled. actually track where their money is going and what's happening. So what, what are the best investments you've made so far? So our, our first company that we invested in was uh, Castle Biosciences. We made that investment in March, uh, had a liquidity event through an IPO in July. So that's, that's been a good investment. You have to remember we're in our first year of you know, full operations. So we've made four investments this year. We had made um, uh, an investment in a fund of funds in uh, 2018, so five investments to date. Uh, and so we feel pretty good about where we are. So we've invested in Castle Biosciences, a therapeutic uh, called Community, uh, another diagnostic called Freenome, and a healthcare IT company called uh, Navigating Cancer. I, I realize it's early days, and I'm sure you're looking at the returns that you're making, but you're probably just as eager, if not more eager, to see what kind of results you're getting for, for patients who are getting now access to new therapy. So it's definitely a double bottom line model. So every investment that we make, there is uh, an impact you know, uh, equation that we develop for that investment. And then we also invest for the financial return. So financially, we're doing really well. Uh, first year, um, our multiple uninvested capital is one and a half. Uh, as of the 24th of December, our uh, IRR was a 67.9, so pretty, pretty good start. That's great. What, what's been the most exciting scientific advance that, that you think some of this money has? Or is it too soon to even tell? No, I think, you know, um, 
obviously we, we think all the investments we've made so far are, are ad advanced scientifically, but the work that's going on in T-cells and CAR-T, immuno-oncology and immunotherapy, that's very exciting. Micro and macrobiome, that's going to be another advance that we're, we're tracking very, very closely. So there are a lot of great things going on. And then the other interesting thing is that the combination of technology you know, sort of interacting with science is occurring at such a rapid rate that we think that AI and machine learning is going to play a much larger role in the cancer world going forward. You mentioned that you're a cancer survivor yourself. What kind of cancer did you survive? Testicular. We're very glad to have you here and have you raising funding for this. Uh, it sounds like a really great new model, so we hope to come back and kind of give us an update on how things are going. Yeah, thank you. I'd like Thank that. you. Thanks, appreciate, it. appreciate it. That's a wrap for the day, the year, the decade. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow, the markets may be closed, but we will be here on the first day of 2020. Ring in the new year with the president of Microsoft and the executive producers of our TV broadcast. Anyway, uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. We are off. Speaking of the TV broadcast, Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Happy New Year. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.